Well, a good morning to you. Good morning. A good evening to you. <laughs> I'm ready to go tonight, I tell you what. No, good evening to you. And I trust you've had a wonderful day. Even if you haven't had the best of days, may we end this day on a high note looking at the Word of God. And uh, I'm eager to open the Bible and uh, teach you this. As I uh, was walking in, I, actually I saw this, I think, Sunday, but then I saw a couple of the young ladies with one of these, you know, my worship notes things that, we, that, that, that you guys provide for the, the kids. I know maybe some of you do this. And so I thought, oh, good, now I can look and see what words I need to say. So for those who are keeping track, so I'll go ahead and help you here. We're going to open our Bible. <laughs> There you go. Uh, and uh, so you, can, you can start on those things. But I think it's good. And uh, for our younger, younger kiddos here, it's good to listen to the Bible and listen to the preacher. You're not going to understand everything that he might say, but you're going to understand a lot of things. So just be listening and, and uh, may God teach you from his word. All right. Um, I... Uh, I couldn't help but think about this when, when my children were a little younger. Uh, I have a 16-year-old son, and he told me, probably when he was eight or nine, he heard me preach one night, and he said afterward, he goes, Dad, I'm going to help you preach better. And I said, oh, okay, please tell me. And he said, well, you go long, and I want to help you make it a little shorter. I said, Okay. He said, this is all you got to do. And he was dead serious. He said, you should get up and say to everybody, folks, this is the Bible. This is God's word. Obey it. Let's pray. <laughs> I like the simplicity of that, don't you? That, that's, that's good. That works. Uh, but we do need to understand what God has said. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So we're going to go to... 1 John chapter 2. We ended last night with verse 6, so let's pick up in verse 7 tonight. Let me read our text. Brethren, he's writing to Christians, is he not? My brothers, my sisters. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him, Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Ah, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Tests reveal things that are true about you. If you take a, an eye test, it reveals the state of your vision. Uh, at uh, dinner tonight, Don was t- 
telling us about all of the tests that have happened to him on his heart and, 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 and ears and so forth. When you take a stress test, it reveals the state of your heart, what is true about your heart. When you uh, take a driving test, it reveals whether or not you are capable of handling a motor vehicle. When you sit down, kiddos, at your desk and the teacher places the math test in front of you, you have to take that test and it shows you how much you know about math or how much you don't know about math. Tests show the things that are true in your life. Well, we have all sorts of tests that we take throughout life. Did you know there's a Christian test as well? Tests that we take to show if we are Christians. Uh, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, he says these words, examine yourselves. Take an exam. Take a test. What are you to examine about yourself? Whether or not you are in the faith. Find out if you are a true believer in Jesus or not. Examine yourself. So Christians are called to take tests about their salvation. And here in 1 John, the Apostle John provides many different tests, three main tests that Christians take to show evidence that something supernatural has happened to them. As you take these tests, if they are true in your life, the, Christian, the Holy Spirit speaks to the Christian and says, look at what God has done in you. You would not be doing this were it not for the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Here are evidences of salvation. We, uh, or John mentions and, and speaks about the obedience test. Christians willingly obey God. Now, they're not always, they hate it when they disobey, but the desire of their heart, the direction of their life is towards obedience to God. They obey God. This is a proof of Christianity. Then there's the test of love. Christians love others as Jesus loves them, particularly other brothers and sisters in Christ. This, again, is an evidence of the work of the Spirit of God within you. Christians love others. Then there's the perseverance test. Uh, uh, Christians never stop believing the truth about Jesus. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who has come to save sinners. Christians never stop believing that. Well, last night we looked at the obedience test, and tonight, as you see, we look at the love test. Christians love others. Christians are characterized by love. Christians want to love others in the church and outside the church. Christians work at loving others. Christians give of themselves. Christians sacrifice of themselves for others. They love others as Jesus loves others. This is the direction and the desire of the life, and it is proof that something otherworldly has happened to them. And it's demonstrated in their love. Now, did you notice, and particularly in verses 7 and 8, that John calls love a command? 
the command to love. What did we look at last night? The test of obedience. How interesting that one of the great evidences that we are in fact believers in Jesus Christ is that we are wanting and desiring and making the effort to obey God's command to love. It's all connected. I find that fascinating. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I do. So, with that in mind, what I'd like to do is, is give you from this text tonight three characteristics of God's command to love. We are going to see that this uh, command to love, to love, loving others, number one, is an old command. It's not new. It's an old command. And then we're going to see, paradoxically, that means kids, surprisingly, loving others is a new command. Yeah, it's old, but it's very new. How can that be? And then we're going to end with loving others is a vital command. Vital meaning vitality, meaning life. Loving others is evidence that you have the life of God, eternal life within you. Okay, so let's look at these three characteristics of the command to love. So number one, loving others is an old command. Did you see that in verse 7? Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you heard from the beginning. John tells Christians something that they already know. They've known about this command since the day they became a Christian, since the day they entered into the Christian faith. They have known from the beginning, they have heard and they have known about this command, and that is Christians love people. Christians are supposed to love people. Can I tell you this? Even people in the world know that Christians are supposed to love other people. Is that not their number one complaint against Christians in our world today? You Christians, you say that you love people. You're so full of hate and bigotry. Okay, justified or not, the world knows Christians are supposed to be characterized by love. Why? Because love is the heartbeat of the gospel. You take love out, you don't have the the, the bedrock there of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, We're here in 1 John 2. If you look at 1 John 3 and verse 16, uh, the, the apostle John says, By this we know love, that God has laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. As Jesus Christ has loved us by sacrificing His life on the cross, so we who have received the love of God then take that love of Jesus Christ and we pass it on to other people. As He has loved us, so we love others with His love. This is, uh, this is what... What, what loving others is all about. Loving others is not a new command. It's not a recent command. You've known this from the beginning. In fact, the command to love others as you sit here on this wet Tuesday evening, this command at the least is 3,500 
hundred years old. Older than all of us combined. Going all the way back to the time of Moses. There God speaks to Mo- through Moses to His covenant people, the nation of Israel, in Leviticus 19 and verse 18. He says these words to His people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's kind of an old command. It's been around for a while. And then he says, I am the Lord. That is the authority. Now, you might be tempted to say, well, Andy, that's great. That was to the children of Israel back in a different time and, uh, and so forth. But we live in the New Testament age, all right? Would you know what your Lord and Savior did? He went back into the time of Moses and grabbed what he said to God's people back then, and he brings it into this age. In fact, would you keep a finger here in, in, in or, or, or a ribbon or something in 1 John? I want to take you to two other passages just so you can see it with your own eyes. The first one, I'd like you to go to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 22, if you will. There in Matthew 22, Jesus is confronted by a lawyer, a doctor of the law. This is one of the religious uh, elites and uh, and a religious teacher in the nation of Israel in the time of Jesus. So you're there in Matthew 22, look at verse uh, 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, these Pharisees, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? So we're talking about commands here. Teacher, of all the laws that have ever been given out in the Old Testament, which one is the greatest? And here is Jesus' answer, verse 37. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. Oh my, does he not quote Leviticus 19? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Teacher, what is the great command, the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus says there's actually two. The first and great one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands, the entire law hangs. It all depends on loving this. Now, maybe you've heard this, and certainly many of you would already have known this, but you remember the Ten Commandments that Moses carried down off Mount Sinai? That ten, those Ten Commandments, they're broken up into two tables. You have the first table, which are the first four, and then the final six. The first four all deal with love to God. Have no other gods before me. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Uh, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Make no other graven images. Love to God. I love God supremely, therefore I will not take His name in vain. So forth. The final six deal with love to people. I love you, so I will not kill you. And thus I will love God and magnify His character. 
I love you, so I will not commit adultery against you. I love you, so I will not bear false witness against you. That's why Jesus says, of all the commandments, they all hang on supreme love for God and sacrificial love for one another. Love is the fulfillment of the law. In fact, after Moses says, love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus brings it in and says, it's always been about loving God and loving others. Then the great apostle Paul, he comes along and he undergirds it with his explanation. So now can we go to one other passage and we'll go back eventually to 1 John. And that is the the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 13. Because I want you to see how it's all connected here. Romans 13, after his long explanation of the gospel and God's righteousness, he's getting more into the practical nature of things. And here in Romans 13, I'm going to pick up in verse number 8. The apostle to the Gentiles says this, In our day and age, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Old Testament gospels, New Testament epistles are all saying the same thing. Love for God and thus love for for others, God's love through us to others has always characterized God's people and should be a mark of our daily experience. Love for others is not new for God's people. It is an old command. It is important to the Christian. It is not recent We've been told this for a long time. It's an old command. However, number two, it's a new command. How can this be? Loving others is not just an old command, it is a new command. Look at verse number eight. We're back in 1 John 2 now. 1 John 2 and verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Which thing... This speaking of this desire to love, this, this actions of love, is true in Jesus and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So, on the one hand, the command to love is not new, but then again, on the other hand, it is entirely new. What does this mean? Well, it does not mean new in time. We've already established the command to love is old in time but it is new in quality. There is a better quality to love now. It's like a whole new type of love. I've grown up in church, maybe like you. Have you ever sung a Christian song, an old Christian song that's been put to a new tune? I have. Some people like that, some people don't. But I will say this, 
you take the old familiar words and you put them to a new tune and those words pop out at you and you go, whoa, that's what I've been singing all these decades? Wow, I hadn't even thought that. It just pops out at you. That's the same words, but it's a whole different feel. Okay? To love others was introduced in the Old Testament for God's people. It was introduced. To love others was intensified in the New Testament. It took on a life of its own. And who do you think intensified love in the New Testament? Who do you think made love new in the New Testament? His name is Jesus Christ. Is that not what John says here in verse 8? A new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in Him. He is the one who put a newness to this type of love, a new quality. Can I put it to you this way? Jesus took the duty to love one another and He raised it to a whole new level. Have you ever studied the Gospel of John? Pastor, you should should teach through the Gospel of John sometime. I think that would be an excellent study for the church. I think it really should. Please don't come to me and say, did you know? Yes, I know. You're studying John right now. When you get to John 13, you know what you're going to come across? One of the most familiar verses in all of the Bible. Jesus is in the upper room with the original disciples, and he's just washed their feet, and he says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you. Oh my goodness, it's almost like John the Apostle was listening that night. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Wait, that's an old command. What's the deal? That's not a new command. A new command I give you that you love one another. Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? Let me, let me, let me quote it again. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, old, as I have loved you. Oh, there's the newness. You've always been told to love. Jesus shows you how to love. <laughs> He moves beyond love your neighbor as yourself to love your neighbor as I have loved you. Wow, that's different. That's better. That's newer. It's almost as though you can now have an aha moment. Oh, so that's what you mean to love. Wow. I was, it just popped out at me. It's something like the difference between downloading step-by-step instructions to read, reading instructions versus seeing instructions. If I want to change the brakes on my car, I can download and read or I can check a book out of the library or whatever, and I I can read and I can do it, maybe. But if I can see someone do it, if I can watch it on YouTube, or get a friend to do it with me, all of a sudden I go, I see it. Oh, so that's what that thing is called. Interesting. I get it. 
God has commanded His people to love. In one sense, it is our duty. It is a command. But Jesus says, I know you think you know what I mean when I say love your neighbor. I'm going to show you what I mean. And that's our aha moment. I don't just want you to love. I want you to love like I love. Watch me. This is the newness. Now, how did Jesus do it? Do you remember the fad that was uh, around a few years ago? Some of you, um, some of the adults remember this. I don't know that the kids might remember this, but uh, there was that uh, the, the the fad that went through the WWJD. You know, what would Jesus do? Okay, fine. What we have here is not so much what would Jesus do, but who did Jesus love? And how did Jesus love? This is how he intensified it. So let's take those two. Number one, who did Jesus love? If we're supposed to love our neighbor as Jesus has loved us, who did Jesus love? Well, you study him in the, in the Gospels. We come across with this. He loved and he received. He ate meals with. He spent time with all classes of people. Sinners. Saints, educated, uneducated, disciples, mockers, tax collectors, prostitutes, children, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, soldiers, outcasts, religionists, revolutionaries, people on every side of the political spectrum. Jesus received and loved them all. It's easy for Christians to love those who love us back and are closely aligned with us. But according to the New Testament, Christians are to be characterized by demonstrating love to those who are different from us, to those who are on a different side of an issue, to those who are different, who irritate or annoy us, or we might call very draining people, people with a different attire, a different background, a different ethnicity, a different political persuasion. Those who have a stated different sexual orientation. Those who claim to have a different gender. Those from a different religion or a non-religion. Christians are to be known as those who love all people as our Lord did. Because a Christian understands that he or she is no better than anyone else. We are just sinners who have been shown the love of God. And so we long to love the other objects of God's love by serving them as he has loved us. So who did Jesus love? How did he make this command to love new? It it was all people, all classes, all stripes. He loved them. He valued them. He treasured them. He ate meals with them. And this should be the heart of a Christian. 
Okay, so that's who Jesus loved. How did Jesus love? He loved to the point, let's just get to the bottom line. He loved to the point of sacrifice. He sacrificed himself to love others. I, I love, I love, I have to chuckle when people in the world, non-believers, often who are antagonistic, they lecture Christians about how to love. And I have to chuckle because I want to say, you know, we've actually studied Jesus. We've actually studied the Bible. We've actually read the Bible, and it tells us how we should love as Jesus loved. A lot of times people will say, well, Jesus loved this way, and it's obvious they have, they're not talking about the same Jesus of the Bible. Did Jesus ever condone sin? Absolutely not. Did Jesus ever affirm anyone in their sin and rebellion against God? No, absolutely not. Did he shun people who wanted nothing to do with God? No, he included them until they finally rejected him. But how did Jesus love? He loved to the point of sacrifice. In fact, that's the greatest expression of love. Christian love is not expressed by being nice. Christian love is expressed by self-sacrifice. Jesus was constantly sacrificing for others. He gave, he forgave, he gave the benefit of the doubt, he met needs, he demonstrated mercy, he entered their world, he listened to them. He, they knew that he wanted them and that he loved them. His words never, uh, his words never commended them in their sin, his words condemned their sin, but his words were always laced with love. They knew that he loved them. Jesus would give and give even though they would take and take. And I remember uh, Mark ten forty five, where Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give up his life as a ransom for many. Aren't you glad that Jesus sacrificed to the point of death for you? If he sacrificed for selfish rascals like us, we ought to sacrifice for selfish rascals against us. In fact, Jesus would say this in John 15, verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another, old, as I have loved you, new, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Okay. So, Jesus is characterized by loving to the point of death. Christians are characterized by loving to the point of death to self. Okay. So, don't miss the main point for all the information I've been trying to give you Loving others is an old command, it's a new command. Okay, what does that all mean? Remember what John's trying to do? This is how the Christian knows that they are in fact saved. So let me ask you a few questions. Do you find in your heart a desire to love others as Jesus has loved you? Is it your ambition in life to sacrifice as Jesus sacrificed for the good of others? 
do you find yourself willing to love even those who are difficult? When you have a flash of unkindness or hatred towards other people, does your heart grieve that you have grieved the heart of God and that you've hurt someone else and you seek to get it right with your Father in heaven and with those you have sinned against? Does your heart say, I must love as Jesus loved? Oh God, give me the grace to love difficult people because you have loved this difficult person. Is that in your heart? If it is, don't you see? That's not normal. That's not natural. That's supernatural. God the Holy Spirit has been at work in your life, making you more and more like Jesus. Back here in verse 8, this love is true in Jesus and in you because in your life the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This new type of love that was in Jesus is found in the Christian. Christ has made it possible for His own to love as He loved. Can I put it to you this way? New life in you brings about new love from you. It's God's love flowing out of you to other people. It's useless to ask the world to love others as Jesus loved. I am thankful for any person, saved or lost, who are kind and humanitarian and work to relieve the sufferings of others. And may I just say this, I think sometimes we in the church can learn from those outside the church how to be merciful to people in pain and suffering. Yet, it is, in, it is impossible to ask the world to love others as Jesus loves. Number one, Jesus is not in them, so therefore Jesus can't love people through them. But... As humanitarian and as wonderful as they may be, there will always be pride or self-fulfillment motivating their actions of love. There will in some ways be an unforgiving spirit in the face of injustice. There's a lot of injustice in our world and there's a lot of people who don't know Christ who are fighting for justice. And how do they fight for justice? They rally around the victim and they attack the perpetrator. I praise the Lord for one. The other one has nothing to do with Jesus at all. The other actions. Jesus never retaliated. Jesus prayed for those who would murder Him. They're on the cross. With those who are without Christ, though they may do humanitarian acts, they can still harbor bitterness and unforgiveness and a resentful spirit towards people who have hurt them or hurt others. They love those who are easier to love and push aside. So, But with the Christian, there's an entirely new possibility to love those who have hurt you. To pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. To heap coals of fire, as it were, upon the head of those who have done you wrong and those you love wrong. This is loving like Jesus. And only the Christian can do that. Do you find in your heart a desire to do that? Do you find a history of actions of love that... 
have been like Jesus to others? Don't you see? God's at work in your life. This is a wonderful evidence of the work of God in salvation. So loving others is a new command. We have Christ in us. And we can love others as He has loved us. Which brings us now to verses 9, 10, and 11, which is our third characteristic. Loving others is a vital command. The word vital meaning life, vitality. It is vital because it shows that you are a Christian. You have eternal life within you. Look at verse 9. He who says he is in the light, he who says he's a Christian, and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Simply put, those who say they're Christian, but they have a habit of hating someone or a class of people, John says they're not in the light, they're in the darkness, and they need to get in the light, they need to be saved. It is foolish to say... I'm loved, I'm forgiven by God, but I am bound and determined I will not love her and I will never forgive him. Where is the love of God in that? There must be a repentance and a trusting in Christ alone for salvation. Oh, but look at the contrast, verse 10. He who loves his brother abides in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. Those who have a lifestyle of love, as we have just understood what love looks like, loving as Jesus has loved us, those who have a lifestyle of love, they are at home in the kingdom of light. They're not in the darkness, they're in the light. This is not talking about someone who is sporadic in love. This is not talking about someone who is occasional in her love. No, this is a longing to love like Jesus. This is actions of love that are reminiscent of Jesus. This is a desire and effort to even love difficult people because Jesus has loved me. What does John say? Not only is that person in the light, not only is that person saved, but there is no occasion of stumbling. In other words, they're not going to struggle with assurance of salvation. Or they will have no cause to stumble. Now, let me ask these questions again. We asked something similar last night. And again, no trick questions. You will never hear a trick question from me. Will a Christian grow bitter against those who have hurt her or him? Yes. Will a Christian at times develop hatred in the heart? Will a Christian strive to be unkind? Yeah. Sadly. But if she is a true Christian, she cannot live long with such hatred. The Spirit of God is going to continue to work conviction in her heart. He knows the Lord of love. He has a new heart of love. He cannot keep persisting in hatred or bitterness. He is miserable. She is grieving. And at some point, they will repent. 
By God's grace, a Christian seeks to put off anger, malice, wrath, and hatred. By God's grace, a Christian seeks to put on love, forgiveness, and peace. The direction of their life is towards love. Look at verse 11. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This word hates is in the idea of those who continually hate, those who persist in their hatred, those whose direction of their life is hatred towards someone or or another class of people. They have a habit of hate. They fail the test of love. They are not Christians in the light. They are sinners in the dark. Their eyes are spiritually blind. Remember, the issue in salvation, in the issue of these tests, is not perfection of life but direction. So I ask you, is the direction of your heart towards loving others as Jesus has loved you? Or is your life in the direction of hatred to someone and there's just no way you're ever going to love that person? If you find hatred in your heart and you say, I know I'm a Christian, but boy, I struggle so much with bitterness. Understood. Come to Jesus tonight and repent. Place it under the blood. As Romans 12, 19 says, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. The idea there is... uh, we, 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 we must make way for the God of justice to do His work. We get out, almost as it were, we duck down and say, okay, Lord, you take care of them, and He will swipe those who have done wrong against us in His time and in His perfect way. Give place to the wrath of God. All right, I'll close with this. Several years ago, I was taking uh, a group of junior age boys and girls to camp. Junior camp. Tremendous to go to junior camp. I've heard people say it's like herding cats. You know, juniors going off this. No, 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 come on this way, this way. Anyway, went there. It was very great. One night on a Thursday night, I think it was Thursday night, the preacher was um, uh, preached a message on being kind to one another. And when he got to the end of his message, there was probably about 200 juniors, you know, 4th, 5th, and 6th graders. And he said, I'd like everyone just to bow their head. And, and uh, you know, here's a time to do business with God. He said, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're doing something a little different. Tonight, if you know that there is someone that you are at odds with, someone that you have been unloving towards, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and you need to get that right, and they are here tonight, I want you to go right now and get it right with them. Well, I was sitting in the back, and I've done a fair amount of preaching, and a fair amount of preaching to younger kids as well, and I was like, 
what a joke. This is going to blow up in the guy's face. And I was soundly rebuked because as soon as he said that, I'm sitting in the back and I'm watching and heads started coming up everywhere and kids started looking across the aisle to one another and they would see and they'd get up and they'd go over and they're talking. I saw a, a young man sitting in the second row. He turned around and he was looking back and, and he saw one of the sponsors, one of the adults. He gets up, walks all the way to the back to talk to whoever had brought him. There were two girls. They were from my church. Uh, they're out of college now, so this was a few years ago, but they were both from my church. They were sitting next to one another, and at that, I, was, I just kind of looked, and I saw them, and at that moment, they turned to one another, and they both burst into tears. I'm so sorry, and, they, and I thought, and you've been sitting next to one another all this time. That's great, but I saw kids getting right with the Lord all over. That's the heart of a Christian. Is that your heart? I'm not going to do what that preacher did tonight. So you can rest easy. But is there someone you need to get up with tonight? Is there a phone call you need to make? Is there some communication in this church or in a former church you need to make? The heart of a Christian says... I will die to my agenda so that you may live. I will die to self because Jesus died for me and for you. Take the test of love. Am I obeying and making an effort to obey the command to love one another? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the scripture. Give us grace to receive this and grace to act upon it. Thank you, Lord. Amen.